Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Tier 2 to my Tier 3. It's Justin Peach. Good afternoon. Justin, we'll get on to that in a sec I feel like we've got to talk about it. But first off, how are you? I'm good. A little bit stressed out this afternoon, you know, trying to trying to um, take advantage of Black Friday and ASOS and the website <laughs> is unnavigationable. Okay. It's um, just meant for hipsters. I've never been on the ASOS website. My day's also been stressful because I've been having to deal with the tier system at work. And we'll talk about that now, Justin, because it's um, obviously the tier system affects everyone in yeah. day-to-day life, but it also does affect... Uh, the football teams in the championship because yep. some sides will be able to have fans back next week and others won't. Now, I put together a list of the teams who will be allowed to have fans back next week. There's definitely a Southern vibe towards <laughs> it. Um, yep. Basically, if you live south of Northampton, you're mm-hmm. probably not going to have fans back in uh, for quite some time. Mate, um, you will. Oh, no, you are, gonna have, yeah, yeah. you are going to have fans back, sorry. Um, and then Norwich is also in there as well because Norfolk is completely isolated from the rest of the country. Um, the, the question that I've got about this, Justin, is do you think this is going to benefit some teams over other teams? Ooh, um, potentially, yes. I think we look back on the... Um the trials, uh, I think it was in September, October, September, wasn't it? It was a while ago now. Mm. I think it was Norwich. Norwich had fans in and they drew 2-2 with Preston. Did it benefit them? I don't know. Maybe it was too early in the season. But I think it can it can benefit, but there's still only you know a really small portion of fans. Is it? Are they going to make as much noise as you know a, a 10,000 or a 20,000? Maybe, maybe not. So it's really hard to say. Um there, there's a definite. There, there will be a definite argument for an advantage for those southern teams compared to the northern teams, um, but I don't think it's going to be too significant. A few fans pointed out because I asked the question on Twitter. Uh, Analytics Forest um, made a good point that Wickham, their average attendance last season was five thousand, mm-hmm. and now they'll be allowed to have two thousand fans in. So that's pretty much a normal. Well, I know it's not. It's still half what they usually have, but it's near enough a normal home game for them now. Um, So in a way, maybe it does benefit Wiccan. Other teams, I'm not so sure. There is also the argument that fans will get on their back more. And one of the things that we've seen recently is that teams are more likely to take risks because they know that fans (laughs) aren't there in the stadium to start having a go at them if they do do something stupid. So... I, th- I suppose there's two sides of the coin, really, isn't there? Obviously, yeah. there's the financial aspect of things because those clubs who will have fans there, I know it's not a massive amount, but it's something at least, isn't it? I don't know. I, I, um, I read a tweet from Darren McAnthony this morning and he said that they're obviously the prioritising season ticket holders who have already paid for the season ticket. So financially, they're not going to be better off. They're actually going to be a little bit worse off because of the extra stewarding costs, catering staff, all of that. So potentially are going to be worse off with the small portion of fans than they would be letting more in. So I don't think financially it's going to make any difference at all. Yeah, fair enough. You got your season ticket for this season sorted? Uh, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, the less said about that, the better. I was very disappointed last night, obviously, but 
we'll get on to that. <laughs> Why were you disappointed? What with the actual result? Yeah, now how the season's gone because I've, I've, I've essentially paid £330 for behind closed doors football, which has been awful, <laughs> like absolutely awful. Um, it's getting to a point where you don't want to log in to watch the games and it's much easier doing that than it is actually not turning <laughs> up at the ground. So, you know, yeah, I'm. it's a bit of a weird position. Don't worry, Justin. Soon you'll be able to watch Derby lose in person. It's fine. Exactly. Yes, can't wait. <laughs> right, let's talk about some actual football. We'll start off with the Lancashire Derby, which finished Preston nil. Blackburn 3. Preston were down to 10 men for half the game after Joe Rafferty was sent off just before half time. But even with that being said, this was a shocking performance by Preston who pretty much rolled over and let Blackburn slide past them. The stats don't make for good reading. Adam Mm. Armstrong had nearly twice as many shots as the whole Preston side, uh, which is quite impressive. But we're once again talking about the amazing contrast between Preston's home and away form because it's now six losses out of seven at Deepdale this season. And it's ultimately costing them a season, isn't it, Justin? Mm -hmm. Uh, Once again, it's led to Preston fans calling for Alex Neal's head. Does he need to go? No. I, I, I don't... It's really hard, especially Preston. They might be a team that benefits from having fans in the ground, for example. Obviously, it's not going to happen anytime soon. But for me, Alex Neal's the best man at that club or best man available to get the best out of the players at that club. Um, the issue I think they're having at the moment is it's just a weird season. And they're not, they're not, thre- they're not, you know, they're not in a relegation battle. They're not threatening to, to drop like a stone. It's just been a, an, a really poor start to season at home and a sort of indifferent away form as well. They will they will improve at some point. It's just you know I think you stay stay with Alex Neil because at the end of the day you get rid of him. I think Preston will be worse off than if the than if he stays. I'm not sure I agree with you. I mean I'm in two minds about it to be honest. I've changed my thinking on this so many times that it's driving me nuts. My initial thoughts are, and I said this before the international break. This side should be challenging for the playoffs, but can anyone really see that happening now this season? Even though it's still early, there are at least, I'd say, 12 teams who are likely to finish in the top six ahead of them this season. So it looks like it's going to be the fourth year in a row where Alex Neal has tried to get in the playoffs and failed. So you've got to ask the question, are Preston really progressing with Alex Neal? However, I think, on the other hand, he has been let down by poor recruitment. They've signed five players permanently in the last three transfer windows yeah five justin yeah uh, they've not had an out and out goal scorer for years now and the squad's not got as much depth as the teams around them and may i point out the owner is worth a billion pounds <laughs> it's just worth pointing out ultimately what i'm saying is would a realistic appointment for preston be able to get this side to the premier league probably not because it is missing two or three players. And unless the owners are willing to tie down key players to new deals, bring in two or three new signings, then what is the point in sacking Alex Neil? Because as you say, who can they get who's better, really? Yeah, that was, that was my argument. I completely agree with that. You know, unless you're back a manager, you know, it's, as you say, what, how many players? Five players over the last three transfer windows? Yes. Compare that to clubs like, uh, sort of clubs around in Bristol City, for example. It's Blackburn. no contest. Blackburn, Blackburn, no, Blackburn no here, they, they must have signed more than five players this transfer window. Yeah, and I think another issue, a little bit, another small issue of pressing is they need to move players on at the right time. So Ben Pearson, for example, has probably been, I wouldn't say he'd been angling and move for himself, but he's a player that they, they should move on for 10, 12 minutes and then reinvest that back into the squad. It's, it's a simple 
policy to, to adapt. You know, if, if the bids come in, consider them. The thing is, as well, he's out of contract in the summer now, so they probably won't have go. got much money for him as they would have before, unless they sign him to a newer contract, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. Either way, we've spent too long to talk about Preston here. Let's uh, talk about Blackburn, (laughs) because what a performance this was. Sure, you can say Preston were all forming down to 10 men, but I don't think you can take anything away from them, because they were different gravy here. And this is the Blackburn side I want to see, Justin. Stamping their authority Mm -hmm. on games, taking it to the opposition, because they're more than capable of doing it to just about any side in this division, aren't they? Yeah, I don't. I don't think there's a better team as well in the division to play against ten men. And I say that because some teams are really crap when they play against ten men because you yeah. get that really low block, two banks of four, really hard to break down. Whereas Blackburn, I know they went one up with a penalty anyway, but they're absolutely white pressing away so easily. And that's down to the talent of the the Blackburn team. You know, defensively they didn't let Preston in the game. Um, and going forward, 17 shots, as you say, you know, Adam Armstrong had more shots than the Preston team altogether. <laughs> Just sums them up. And Ben Brereton, is, he, won the, uh, he won the penalty. He's such a good footballer. He's such a good player. He's turning into such a good player to the extent that um, Chilean, Chilean fans, Chile fans yeah. are starting to call for him to, uh, <laughs> to be called up because apparently he's half Chilean. Apparently his mother is Chilean. Love it. That is... A fantastic bit of trivia, which I'm a massive fan of. But Brereton, as you say, he's someone we haven't spoken about much on the show, but he is starting to look like that player that we all thought he would be when he was a young lad. Because, mm-hmm. well, if he managed to, manages to build some consistency, because that is his main problem, then he could be a superstar in the championship, couldn't he? Yeah. He's got all the potential to play at the very highest level. He's physical. He's got loads of pace. He just has a tendency to struggle to put his stamp on games but with confidence that he'll be getting from his recent performances hopefully that helps him continue and get better and better uh, it doesn't help when Adam Armstrong's stealing all the headlines 12 <laughs> goals in 12 games for, for him now which is ridiculous quite frankly uh, Blackburn up to 10th now which is almost a bit of a disappointing position really because of how they start the season but you yeah. can definitely see them challenging for the playoffs the big issue has been the defence but that looks like it's getting there one side who don't look like they're getting there at the moment is Cardiff. They lost 1-0 to Coventry. And Neil Harris is another man who's under pressure at the moment. And with performances like this, you can see why. Yeah, he will be. And the issue is, it's, it's, it's more individual errors and mistakes that are letting him down. You know, But then again, it's one win in eight. You know, how, how how much of that is the management? How much is that players making the wrong decisions? How much is that Neil Harris sticking with these players that are making these poor decisions? Um, and as I say, that there are just too many errors being made. You know, the first goal was was why why are Cardiff playing out from the back? No idea. Well? They've they've not played out from the back for a good three yeah. years now. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's come from Joe Rawls with a, a a meek back pass. He had three Coventry players around him, so that pass from Morrison should have never have gone to him anyway. So I'm not putting it all on on Rawls. And then Morrison poorly judging Smithy's coming out allowed Walker to in, slip in and, and get it over Smithy. It was a great finish, but completely avoidable. And as well as that, they're not breaking teams down as 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 much as they should do with the talent they've got going forward. It's yeah, not good enough. I completely agree. It was a shocking game, a really shocking game. They barely created anything substantial. And you've got to remember, Coventry have the worst defence in the league. And they were second best throughout this game with Cardiff. Um, the players they have, they shouldn't be in this position. As you mentioned, one win in eight games now and 18th in the table. And this mm-hmm. is a very good side, Justin, a very good yeah. side. 
And it's getting hard to argue that Neil Harris should be given more time, really. We've given plenty of praise to him for the job he did last season because he made this team very hard to beat, which led to them getting the playoffs. But this season, they haven't been able to carry over that form really at all. And unlike Alex Neil, when we were just talking about him in a second ago, I feel like other managers could do a a better job with this side because it is essentially a top six team. It's mm-hmm. not playing like it at the moment, though. If they got in someone like, I don't know, Danny Cowley, plays a similar style of football, young manager, has done a better job, has uh, made teams better than when he went there, then I could definitely see him doing a decent job with this side. Neil Harris has got to pull his finger out because ultimately the fingers have got to be pointed at him, I think. Um, but Coventry, they'll be very happy with this performance because heading into this game, they managed just one win in 10 And I don't think really anyone should get too carried away with this result because Cardiff were pretty poor. But it was a really good performance from Coventry. They deserved it. Now two clean sheets in a row as well, which is a massive boost because last Friday's game, before that, they'd only managed one clean sheet all season. So it's Mm -hmm. progress for Mark Robbins, isn't it? It's it's massive. And I said in my my article over the international break that the issue with Coventry is they're a young, maybe slightly naive team they're not managing games very well, which is why they're conceding so many goals. Um, you come back to the Birmingham game, they get a clean sheet. It was a poor game, but Coventry stifled Birmingham. And, you know, although it was a poor game against Cardiff overall, they pick up the win, they see the game out against a, a Cardiff team that can potentially bully, you know, a very experienced um, Cardiff team that can bully this young side. And they didn't. They stood They stood firm. Um, the composure from Walker for the goal was fantastic. And yeah, onwards and upwards for Coventry. It's two clean sheets in a row. I can only see him improving now. Yeah, Tyler Walker, as you mentioned, he's someone that I want listeners from this show to keep an eye on. Because we picked him out as a player who could surprise a few people this season at the start of the season. And Mark Robbins has been slowly easing him into the sides. Mm-hmm. But he scored against Watford, looked lively against Birmingham, and has scored here as well definitely one that uh, people should be keeping an eye on over the next couple of weeks uh, let's go to Middlesbrough 3 Derby nil. there is a lot to unpick from this game <laughs> uh, this was as comfortable for Borough as the result suggests it was almost like Neil Warnock had invited a semi-pro side to train with them it was <laughs> it was that bad wasn't it yeah um, I generally think the Borough players could have sat down <laughs> on their asses, like literally sat down on the floor, crossed cross the legs, and Derby still wouldn't have scored. Um, um, it's hard to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, firstly on Borough, seven clean sheets in nine. Just unbelievable defensively. I mean, it was always going to be difficult um, for Derby, you know, lowest scores in the division, but Borough, my word, so efficient. And, and I feel like I should mention George Savile again. Um, I'm turning into his one of his biggest fans because he's been brilliant under Neil Warnock um, and one of Bury's best performances best performers this season um, you know he made six tackles all, all in around the middle of the park as well so he's breaking up the play and that partnership alongside Johnny House and is only going to get better uh, and the midfield too this is so vital to Neil Warnock's side you know you go back to QPR years it was uh, Andre Fairlin and Sean Derry in there um, they both made I think Sean Derry made 45 appearances Fairlin made up to around 30 but he had knee injury problems and then going to Cardiff you had Gunnison and Bryson and then Grujic who came in at, um, in January he likes that too to be very consistent and Housen and Savile at the moment are outperforming most of the midfield sort of partnerships in the division uh, you know it's, it's very hard to see this Borough side finishing anywhere else other than the playoffs 
it's started to look that way. It's worth pointing out they've now got the second best ever defensive record after 13 games in the championship season after conceding just six in 13, which is yeah, remarkable. Uh, the whole of their back four have been playing out of their skins. Um, and at times it's like a force field is around Marcus Bettinelli's <laughs> penalty area. They're just so well drilled. The only thing letting them down, and forgive me for stating the bleeding obvious here, is they need to score more goals. Before the Derby game, only three teams have scored fewer than them. So they could really do with an informer Sombolonga. He got on the score sheet on Wednesday. So hopefully that will give him a bit of confidence because if he starts to get going, then... It's going to be hard to disagree with you, Justin. Middlesbrough could very well be destined for the playoffs. Uh, but let's talk about your beloved derby. Maybe not so beloved at the moment. No, no, no. Uh, still rock bottom of the table. Have now had the joint second worst start after 13 games ever in a championship season. And there doesn't seem to be any sign of derby improving. No, it, it doesn't. And I, I want to get really neutral about this because I, I sort of understand that, you know, for the listeners... My my sort of discussions about Derby can get very ranty and, and passionate. So, going from a really neutral, going to a really neutral position, for me, at this current rate, Derby are going down. I can't see past it, um, and there's so many reasons why. For whatever reason, Shinny has been dropped. You know, arguably um, Derby's best midfielder this season. That's that looks like it's to, it's to accommodate Wayne Rooney. Wayne Rooney isn't working at the moment for Derby. He's he, he, when he was out the team, Derby improved. When he's in it, they've been poor. Going forward, there's no energy or pattern of play. They try to create overloads out wide. When they do, there's no quality or bodies. There's no quality in the crosses or bodies in the box to get into. It's a really scary time to be a Derby fan at the moment because this could, this could, I wouldn't say ruin a football club, but you look at Sunderland, it's taken them a long time to get out of the uh, at League One. Sheffield United took them a long time to get out of League One. They're going down at the moment. I was disagreeing with you a few weeks ago and slowly, as time has gone on, <laughs> I'm starting to change my mind about that a bit more. Uh, you know in Space Jam, when the basketball players have their talent <laughs> sucked out of their body, that's kind of what it's like when I watch Wayne Rooney at the moment. Yeah. He can still hit 40-yard passes on a regular basis, but that seems to be the only thing he brings to the table at the moment. Um, however, it's not just about Wayne Rooney. The likes of Tom yeah. Lawrence, Martin Waghorn, yeah. established players at this level who look like they don't know what they're doing at the moment. And it's mm -hmm. a real sorry state of affairs. And as I say, I'm slowly but surely coming round to the idea that Derby are in a relegation battle this season. I thought it might be like Stoke and Huddersfield last season where the players are just too good to go down and they went on to turn it round as the season went on. At the moment, I can't see that happening because they're just so, so bad. Yeah. And just to add to your Space Jam theory, Andre Wisdom, fair play to him for coming out and speaking to the, the press, he came out and said, it's like they don't know how to play football when they get out on the pitch. Which is an alarming thing to hear. I thought you were going to footballer to say it. Yeah, I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to say. Fair play to Andre Wisdom. He admitted some aliens have come along and stolen all their talents. I wish. I wish it was that logical and simple to explain. Because honestly, it's it's mind-boggling. And somewhere, Stefano Aranio is playing a football match against those aliens to try and get those players' talent back. Um, Norwich are still top of the table after beating Stoke three two. A bit of a crazy game. This Norwich were three 0 up before Stoke gave them a late scare after Emmy Brendia was sent off. But on the basis of play throughout this whole match, I thought Stoke were quite unlucky. They certainly had 
more chances than Norwich did. Mm. Yeah, no, you know, as well as that, the two goals that I think is uh, the first and the third goal, and the second and third goal came from Stoke midfielders giving the ball away. Um, so there were avoidable goals as well. And as you say, arguably, it should have been 3 3 at the end. It was not a foul on Michael McGovern. Um, a really bizarre, bizarre decision. Um, but as you say, Stoke were pretty good and Norwich ever so slightly better. You can't give teams like Norwich these chances. You know, as I say, giving the ball away midfield to, to talented playmakers and play Timo Pukki through is, is, you know, it's it's football suicide. Um, it, you clean up your game and you get results against these teams because at the moment, you know, Norwich, the likes of Norwich and Bournemouth aren't playing at the top of their game. So there is there is chances against them and Stoke very nearly got the result. Mm. Michael O'Neill won't be pleased with the goals they conceded, will he? Because it was no. just three breakaways, essentially very mm-hmm. similar goals. But as I've already mentioned, they created loads of chances in this game and will count themselves maybe unlucky. They're, they're a weird case, Stoke, because I was looking at their statistics defensively earlier and expected goals against them is quite low. In fact, it's the fifth best in the division, but only three teams have conceded more than them this season. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit strange, but it essentially means teams are taking their chances against them. And yeah. in the long term, that should even out and it should start to reflect in the results a bit more. Uh, but they find themselves eighth, which is still fairly good going for Stoke. Uh, but I think this game kind of sums up why I'm not completely sold on Norwich, because they give teams plenty of chances. And as I've been saying recently, they usually rely on Tim Krull making match-winning saves. He came off injured in this game mm-hmm. and could be out until the new year, which is not ideal at all. However, however, they created plenty of chances for themselves, as they have done pretty much throughout this whole season. And they do a great job of outscoring teams. And in my experience, Justin, if you score more goals than the other team, you tend to win games. Just a theory I'm working on. Uh, but the main thing is, they're one of the only teams who have managed to be consistent. And that's something that we always say on this show, isn't it? If you get a consistent run of results over an ex- extended period of time, then it always shows in the table. Always. Yeah. Um, Tim Puki came back to form. Three goals in two for him now, which is a worry for the rest of the, of the division. Because if he starts hitting the form like he did before, he could be very deadly, Justin. Yep, absolutely. And, you know, it was the reason why I put him in my fantasy football at the start of the season. But he started too slowly for me, uh, so I got rid of him. Um, but as you say, he's, he's such a good striker at this level, and you give him chances, he's going to put them away. And as I say, Stoke gave him chances and he punished him. Yeah, definitely. Three straight wins now for Bournemouth after they beat Forest 2-0. They are like a steam train at the moment, aren't they, Bournemouth? They look like they're going to take some stopping. No, I, I really enjoyed watching Bournemouth on um, on Tuesday. I thought they were they were really good. Um, their movement through the thirds is really good to watch. When you've got players like Lewis Cook, for example, and and David Brooks, it's you can see why they're starting to carve teams open. But you know, a lot of it, as well as Solanke dropping deep with his back to goal, um, that for me has been a bit of a game changer for Bournemouth because they typically, especially in the Premier League, play two up front, and it, I don't know, they were very heavily reliant on wing play. Whereas now they're playing through the middle and they've got the inside runs of Dan Juma and David Brooks causing havoc. Uh, and it really is because David Brooks um, coming into the side has helped. He's been involved in five of the last nine goals, which is, you know, it's good stats. Um, he's been a massive improvement to this Bournemouth attack. And you can t- you can see that because they were drawing games before and now they're turning them into wins. 
it's scary how good David Brooks is at this level. Yeah. And I, I keep saying it, but I can't hammer home this point enough that he's way too good to be playing in the championship. He just clearly looks like a Premier League player whenever I've watched him this season. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is amazing how with all the quality they, or quality they have in this side, you forget that they've still got the likes of Junior Stanislas, who's still a very good player at championship level. Yeah. He got two here. And... I just don't think there's really much else you can say about Bournemouth that we haven't said already. They're just quality and they look like the team who are most likely going to win the league in my eyes. This win was fairly comfortable and it doesn't change my mind really much about that. Uh, But for Forest, it's the same old story that we've seen plenty of times this season where they actually had quite a few chances and could have made it a lot less comfortable for Bournemouth had they put any of those chances away. But obviously they haven't and didn't really give much of a tough time to Bournemouth defensively. No, I mean, they they were outwitted, which Jason Tindall admitted after the game, that he knew knew what they were going to do, Forrest. Um, it, was, it was quite simple for Bournemouth. Okay, they had a couple of chances, but as you say, they didn't take them. Um, but I think the good thing is they are starting to create more under Chris Hewton. It's just taking those chances and cutting out the defensive errors because, for example, the Jack Colback tackle on Solanke whether or not it was in the box doesn't matter you know players running at you that quick you don't leg him up um, you just you just got to eradicate those mistakes and Forrest can start to climb up the table but they need clean sheets first they need clean sheets to, to, to build on they're not getting it you know they need Dre Worrell back as well um, as soon as possible just to shore up that defence because I, there's there have been so many defensive combinations I think now Chris Hewton's starting to settle on a back four which is good he's now just got to get the midfield balance right and then obviously La Taylor up front it's not something you really associate with Chris Hewton's sides, is it? Them not being very good defensively. That's usually the one thing that you can say about them, but it is just three wins in nine for Mr. Hewton now. And there has been improvement. It's just maybe not been as drastic as we we're expecting it to. Still plenty of time, though, isn't there? Yeah. Um, let's have a break, Justin. After that, we'll talk about Brentford, Reading, and QPR. It's a little-known fact that when Justin and I record these shows, nine times out of ten, we're wearing a classic football shirt from years gone by. And where do we get them from? Classicfootballshirts.co.uk In fact, as I record this, I'm wearing my PSG shirt with Thiago Silva on the back. Alternatively, I could have worn my Juventus shirt, Dortmund shirt, Blackburn shirt. I could go on. We're big fans of classic football shirts here because they offer you classic football shirts at a great price. And it's not just shirts either. Oh no, dear listener. There's also training wear, tracksuits, shorts, socks, you name it. And I can guarantee they'll have something for your club. So head on over to classicfootballshirts.co.uk or visit them in store in either London or Manchester. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Barnsley nil, Brentford 1. This was a game that was a bit surprising because despite Barnsley's recent form, four wins in five before this game, and Brentford struggling, Brentford absolutely dominated them, didn't they? Yeah, and, and you know, um, Valerian Ishmael, I can't, it's a tricky name. Um, <laughs> um, he came out and said Brentford were the better team. And uh, yeah, as you say, I, I was a bit surprised given how good Barnsley were at the at the weekend. I expected a little bit more, but Brentford came out and were ruthlessly efficient with the ball, which we you know we know they're good at that. Um, it's just creating more chances, putting those chances away. That's been a bit of an issue for Brentford. But 
yeah, as you say, a dominant display for Brentford, which is good for which is good for them because they need the form. And you know, it's not a it's not a bad result for Barnsley. They were just beaten by the better team, which you know it's going to happen. Ivan Tony got on the score sheet, ending his goal drought of two games without scoring. <laughs> uh, even though Brentford did get the win here, the same problems they're still there, aren't they? Only Blackburn have created more chances than them this season, but they just don't put enough of those chances away. Tony is scoring as we know he's got 11 now Marcus Force their second choice striker has four and then only three other players have scored this season and they've all got one so that's where the issue is it's pretty clear that they need other players to help out with scoring goals the likes of Canos and Boomer De Silva they should be getting more really and Boomer in particular because how many he scored last season he got double figures didn't he only one this year and Boomer yeah and Boomer no, it's actually Mbuma, but we've been saying Embremo all this time, Justin. Come on. Oh, okay. Uh, Rattle me there. <laughs> either way, he got double figures last season. He should be getting a lot more uh, a lot more goals than he has done at the moment. It's something that mm-hmm. they really need to work on. And then Barnsley will obviously be very, very disappointed with the performance here. It was very unlike them from what we've seen in recent weeks. They've got a tricky game against Blackburn at the weekends. So whether they can uh, try and recover, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Reading picked up their first point in a month after drawing one all with Millwall. Thoughts on this game, Justin? It was 1-1. Lovely. Thank you. Shall we move on? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, it it was a good result for Reading, a a poor result for for Millwall. Um, It was one of those games that wasn't separated by by too much. Obviously, Jed Wallace free kick. But as you say, it was, it was for me. It was it was a more important result for Reading just to stop that run of defeats. You know, picking up a, a draw against a top half rival against a tricky tricky place to go in Millwall was always going to be the case. They didn't have the best game Reading, but as I say, it's important to stop that rot. Yeah, Valko Pornovic wasn't happy with the point. He thought they deserved more from the game. Uh, can't say I particularly agree with them. I thought Millwall perhaps the better side, but a point isn't an unfair result. Reading are still sixth. They've got Bristol City at the weekend, but then they've got a fairly generous run of fixtures at the start of December, so it could be a chance for them to turn things around. Millwall have now drawn their last four games. They've got more draws than anyone else in the division. Uh, They're another side who could do with other players scoring. Jad Wallace has got five, and then there are six players stuck on one at the moment but what a free kick by Jad Wallace cool. <laughs> that man is the king of set pieces in the championship isn't he I think he is because we've seen we've seen him use different techniques obviously he, he hit this one with power but it was a lovely curl on it took it away from the keeper um, and obviously we saw one last season where he just welled it oh. um, yeah different techniques but as you say you know Millwall drawing too many games they need other players to pick up because you know last season you, you labelled Millwall a one man team Millwall fans didn't agree with that, but at the moment they're still in that position. Now it's you know drawing too many games. It's, it's not good enough. They lost six points from winning positions this season, which for a side that is, I wouldn't say defensively leaning, you yeah. know, it, it has to be better, especially if you've got aspirations of finishing the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You won't expect it to happen with an experienced manager like Guy Rowett at mm-hmm. this level either. Um, but yeah, definitely. It, hopefully, when Troy Parrott 
starts when he's like fully back in the side because he has started his last two games now but when he's fully back and up to speed with the championship hopefully he can grab a few more goals and really help Wallace out uh, there was a great game at the Kai and Prince Foundation Stadium between QPR and Rotherham. It finished 3-2. Both sides throwing caution to the wind here with plenty of chances. Bright to say Samuel really stood out for me. He was having one of those games where he was not afraid to run at the opposition and was giving them hell throughout this whole game. And he's such a good player when he does that. There's probably no one else better at it than him in the division. Uh, mm. Elias Chair got on the score sheet as well. 2-2 two two for him now. They have got all these exciting attacking players, haven't they? And when they really get going, they're very fun to watch, aren't they? They are. And that's the frustrating thing because you see games like that. Um, you mentioned to say something, you know, he completed six dribbles. Uh, Elias Chair completed three. They were really, really efficient going forward. It's just if they get it out of them consistently, they'll be a very good team in this division. It's just, as I say, just doing it consistently. Um, I, I, I should have uh, say Samuel had a penalty, by the way. Because I'm pretty sure Angus McDonald handled on the line at one point. But uh, nobody claimed for it. I can't remember the incident off the top of my head. But just to add to that, it was it was literally wave after wave after wave of breaking into the final third and creating chances. It really was. I mean, Rotherham, fair enough for keeping themselves in it because this could have been, you know, very far out of their reach. Yeah. The thing is, something to keep an eye on here is that QPR, as we all know last season scored plenty of goals, were terrible defensively. And we thought early on in the season that that might have subsided. But they do look like they're starting to slip in back into the old ways. Only three teams <laughs> have now conceded less goals than them this season. So, uh, yeah, they might have to just short that defence a bit before uh, focusing on scoring as many goals as possible. But uh, QPR have got a West London derby with Brentford on Friday night. Big game. Big game. Uh, Paul Warren wasn't happy with Rotherham's performance in the first half, but thought they were unfortunate in the second half. It was by no means a bad performance from the Millers, was it? No, and it's these these games where you know, you know you're coming up against teams who have players like, I say, Samuel and Elias Chair are so good going forward. When you're not on it, they can terrorise you. And as Paul Warren pointed out, they weren't good enough in the first half, which ultimately lost in the game. That's it. You know, that's that's that's. That's the that's the issue there, um, but you know they're a team that they they look they're a far cry from when they were in the championship before. Uh, I'm quite I'm also I'm looking forward to watching this Rotherham team throughout the season, but I'm quite confident that they can avoid relegation. Really? Wow. I'm not mm. too sure. They're still just three points above the relegation zone. It's hard to say. There's quite a few teams who you could probably say they're in a relegation battle at the moment, but I think no one can deny that Rotherham are better than they were when they are in the Championship. Well, the last couple of times they've been in the Championship now. Uh, Swansea won, Wednesday won. Tony Pulis's first point as Wednesday boss. Also, their first goal coming from a set-piece. Shock. Uh, <laughs> not the most exciting of games, but there were a couple of key points. Firstly, the disallowed goal against Swansea, which looked a bit debatable. There was a big, massive goal-mouth scramble, and it eventually goes in, but apparently there was a foul on the keeper, but I didn't see anything so no. Steve Cooper's men probably have a right to feel aggrieved don't they yeah and it was a lovely goal from Casey Palmer as well which makes it all the more worse but it should have been a penalty on Andre AU as well because it was a high boot yeah from him. Callum Patterson wants it yeah and uh, yeah it, 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 bizarre decisions um, last night and, and Tuesday night and obviously Steve Cooper came out and said that he's already spoke to the 
refereeing bodies to say they didn't want the referee that was in charge Andy Warmer last night because of previous issues with him. Um, so there might no, there might be a bit of a grudge there. But as you say, for Wednesday's first goal coming from a set piece under Pulis is just typical, and that's Adam Reach's first goal in fourteen months, by the way. It doesn't surprise in me. Over a year, he's not been as free scoring as he once was when he was hitting thirty yard screamers on a weekly basis. Yeah, uh, yeah he's um, he's had a bit of a drop in form, hasn't he? And it's been going on for quite some time now. Uh, but just quickly about Swansea. Positive note is that Andre Ayew was back after getting injured in the international break. Scored a lovely goal as well. A lovely goal, Justin. And I tell you what, he is. It's hard to deny that he's one of the best players in the division, isn't he? I don't think anyone can argue with that, really. He's so important for Swansea's hopes of going up this season. And they could really do with him staying fit because he's so important in the final third. Uh, but despite the disallowed goal for Wednesday, uh, against Wednesday, they were fairly solid, weren't they? Pulis is just going to drill them down into a clean sheet machine, isn't it? Yeah, it's just typical Pulis side. You know, it's, it's, it's 4 5 1, uh, 5 4 1. It's just going to be that all the way through. Yeah. Luton Mont, Birmingham 1, Lukas Jukovic and Matty Pearson with the goals. Another game that was fairly even. I love Juki's penalty here. He takes them exactly as you'd imagine Lukas Shukovic would take them. <laughs> uh, Neil Everidge had a bit of a mare for the Luton goal, although did redeem himself with some very good saves. Luton still 11th despite one win in six, while Birmingham a 17th. Anything you want to add on this game? No, th- these these teams are very closely matched and I think that says more about Luton than it does... Oh, sorry, it probably says more about Birmingham than it does Luton because of the... just the differences were barely there. Um, yeah, it's good progress from Luton and a pretty pretty weird regression from Birmingham and we'll end with two nil nils Bristol City Watford and Wickham Huddersfield worth pointing out Wickham have only lost one game in six now Justin the points ticking over a bit aren't they Uh, right let's do who knows wins before we leave you for this week listener this is our league where you can win money from correctly predicting the results of championship games it's really easy to do all you need to do is download the who knew who knows wins app and join our league guess the most correct results out of all the games in the championship the more people involved the bigger the prize so get involved right we have got a game tomorrow night that's brentford qpr which way are you going justin I'm going Brentford. I'm going to go Brentford as well. Reading, Bristol City? I'm going draw. I'm going to go Bristol City. Birmingham, Millwall? I'm going to go Millwall. I'm going to go draw. It's a very drawy game, that sounds. Mm. Uh, Blackburn, Barnsley? Uh, Oh, I think I'm going to go Barnsley. I'm going to go Blackburn in the thinking that Barnsley might have turned a corner now, and it's not a good corner. Cardiff, Luton? Uh, Luton Luton's away form is really good I'll go draw I've got I'm losing faith in Cardiff very rapidly after picking <laughs> them to win just about every single week uh, Derby Wickham draw really wow uh, I'll go Wickham you know just because <laughs> Derby looks so bad at yeah. the moment Huddersfield Borough uh, I'm going to go Borough I'll go yeah I'll go Borough as well actually Norwich Coventry Norwich. Norwich for me too. Rotherham, Bournemouth. Bournemouth. Bournemouth for me as well. Uh, Chef Wednesday, Stoke. I'm going to go draw. It's the Pew list, are we? It, uh, is. it I'll, is. I'll go draw as well. And Watford, Preston. Uh, Watford. Preston away. Yeah, but the 
it's really hard to predict Preston. It is. Although their waveform, as we all know, is just staggering. I'll I'll uh, I'll go draw. And finally, Forest Swansea on Sunday afternoon. I'm going to go for Swansea with that one. I'm going to go draw. A bore draw for that one. Lovely. Right, this has been the second tier. This has been a midweek edition of the second tier. Thank you for listening, as always. We'll be back again on Sunday to give you all the latest from the Championship. Talk about a bit of the news, all the matches, all the standard stuff that you get with your weekly dose of the second tier. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 